Great. I love, I love coming here. Uh, Mim and I met obviously mainly at the Church Crookham site, um, but there's just so many people that I love to be with, friendly faces, uh, and yeah, it's just a delight to, to, to come here. So this morning, uh, I'm going to be, sp- my text is in Acts ch- chapter 17, uh, starting at verse 1. And I'm going to be giving a message that I gave four weeks ago at the Church Crookham site. Um, but uh, it touches on things that I've been chewing over for about 10 years. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> um, it, um, it, so this is an ancient text, but it's alive and... God is always doing new things. Um, and uh, so I've called this message rather provocatively, don't believe everything the preacher says. Okay, and partly that's a disclaimer uh, because sometimes I say things that are a little bit stupid. But it mainly it's because it's really good to ask questions about what the preacher says and discuss it together in community. Because that's, that's what it's about. It's about doing life together and working out the problems that we face in life and asking questions. Um, so, let's start. Acts chapter 17, verse 1. <clears throat> Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, (laughs) they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. Then there was a a bit of a commotion, um, and the people who didn't accept what Paul was bringing, um, created a mob, and they uh, tried to arrest people, and some people ended up in jail, and then uh, they, they were let out on bail. Um, and then uh, we go to verse 10, and it says, the brothers immediately sent um, uh, Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, uh, just a little bit further west along the coast. Um, And when they arrived, they went to the Jewish synagogue again. Um, Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing, as well as men. So, we can see what's happening. 
Paul is coming uh, with uh, a message about Jesus. He's going into the synagogue. He's opening up the scrolls, the Old Testament scrolls, and he is showing people from the scrolls what it says about the Christ, the Messiah, the king who is to come, who is bringing this new kingdom, who's going to bring peace and joy to the world. And he's saying, this Christ, this Messiah that you see in your scriptures is going to die. And then he's going to rise again. And it's happened. And his name is Jesus. And some people accepted it. Some people didn't. So what I'd like us to do is to think about three things that we can do when we read the scriptures. The first is to ask questions together about the Bible. It says they examined the scriptures. And the word uh, examined there, anachronites, is used several times in the New Testament and it's often translated is that they asked questions about. They discussed it. What does this mean? So you're saying this. Oh, oh gosh. So they went back to the scriptures and they reviewed them and they asked questions about them. And they did it together. Questions, I think, are better than answers sometimes because they open us up to see things differently. And you might like to ask yourself a question. Why did Jesus ask so many questions? Why did Jesus ask so many questions? Any idea how many questions he asked? Anybody got any idea how many questions Jesus asked? Because we've only got like four short accounts in the Gospels of what Jesus did and, and said, and he said a few things, great wise words, and he asked a few questions. Anybody know how many questions he asked? Well, somebody has added them up. Apparently, he asked 307 questions. That sounds quite a lot to me. And those are the ones that are written down. I mean, obviously, he probably asked more than that. But the ones that are written down, 307 questions Jesus asked. How many questions did people ask Jesus? Well, apparently, Jesus was asked 183 questions. And guess how he answered them? Most of those 183 questions, he answered with a question. Only eight of the 183 questions did he answer with a direct answer that wasn't a question. That's my understanding of what people are saying I may have got that a bit wrong but as I said at the beginning don't believe everything that the preacher says but the message is Jesus asked a lot of questions why did he ask so many questions I think it's because when you give an answer like I think this or I think that it has the tendency to close down conversations. Oh, that's what you think. Okay. Whereas when you ask a question, it opens up conversation. Makes us think, oh, okay. Oh, I hadn't really thought of it like that. And, it, and it's fascinating. Whenever Mim and I have questions, she'll say things. And I thought, do you know what? I, I never thought of it like that. 
So asking questions and discussing things together can really help us to open up our minds. I think it's one of the reasons that Paul wrote to Timothy and said, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture and to teaching. If you hear the word read in public, then you all get to hear it together and you can all discuss it and ask questions about it together. And obviously, that continues to this day. In our small groups, we have the opportunity of getting together. We, we pray for one another. We talk about things that are going on in life that are challenging. And we have this opportunity to review and discuss what the Bible says and ask questions. So being with Jesus, I think, was more, rather than a Q&A, I think it was more of a Q&Q. Sometimes we ask very valid questions like, is it right or is it wrong? And I've, I've wrestled with some things like that. Um, because particularly if you're a politician or somebody in a place of uh, authority, people look to you for an answer to a question. Is it right or is it wrong? And sometimes I thought, you know, I don't know. And then as I think about it a bit more, I think, do you know what? A good answer to that question, if you were to give a direct answer, would be maybe or it depends. I think a good answer to the question, is it right or is it wrong, is what is the context? So, is it right to start a fire? Well, it depends. What's your motive? Uh, is it right to drink water? Well, it depends. Are you thirsty or are you drowning? It depends on the context. So, it's good to ask questions together. The second thing I think we can see from this passage is that we should be open-minded when we read the Bible. <clears throat> it says, they examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so, that these things were the things that Paul was saying about the Christ. So, they were open to have a discussion about what Paul was saying and to look at the scriptures to see if these things were so. These things that didn't go along the lines of what they thought originally. They were open-minded. We had an invitation to the deep dive on, on Monday and I remember going to the Christmas deep dive this year and I remember Joshua, our local academic theologian who's got a, a degree in theology, who's studying a master's in theology, standing up here and saying, um, <clears throat> I've got an apology to make to you. Uh, this time last year, I taught you something from the scriptures about Christmas, and I no longer think what I taught you is true. I'm going to teach you something different because I've changed my interpretation of the passage. Okay? That's an, a modern example. A, a less modern example is from the 17th century uh, American uh, preacher, Jonathan Edwards. Some of you may have heard of him. <coughs> and he said, and this is rather archaic because it's from the 17th century, so bear with me and I'll say it slowly. 
He said, and this is he wrote it in his diary, resolved today that if ever I live to years, I will be impartial, so open-minded, to hear the reason of all pretended discoveries and receive them, in other words, accept them, take them on board, how long soever I've been used to another way of thinking. So here was a man who studied the Bible, who preached the Bible, who said, I want to be open-minded if somebody brings a pretended discovery, something new, I want to be open-minded to take that on board. I think one of the reasons that's a good thing to do is because when I look at the things that God does, he's always doing new things. Jonathan Edwards had slaves. He owned slaves. Uh, he disagreed with the transatlantic slave trade, but he owned slaves. And uh, his motive was very much that he was able to care for them and, and provide them with, with a good quality of life. But I guess if Jonathan Edwards was around today, he might choose not to own slaves. So, open-minded when we read the Bible, open to what God is doing, new creation. A good example of that occurs a couple of chapters earlier in Acts. So in Acts chapter 15, um, there have been a few people who've gone to the local Alpha course. Uh, they've come to faith in Jesus. But some of the Jews are saying, well, hang on a minute. These new believers who are coming in, these Gentiles from other nations that are coming in, we've got to get them to get in line with what we believe with, with our scriptures. So we've got to make sure that they follow all of our rules. You know, they had hundreds and hundreds of rules. But the main one was that they wanted the men to be circumcised because that was just like, you know, you know. And you can imagine that did raise a few eyebrows. Um, so they had a discussion about it. They got together. Uh, there was something called the Jerusalem Council. You can read about it in Acts chapter 15. They got together they examined the scriptures and they asked questions. Um, and although they had scriptures from a thousand years ago where it talked about circumcision and all these rules to be followed, you know, which were great rules, fantastic rules, they then had uh, some other scriptures from, that were a little bit, you know, from about a few hundred years before from the prophet Amos. And they read in the, in the prophet Amos about the Gentiles, the nations, and how God was going to do a new thing and bring people from all the nations into his kingdom, not just the Jews, who were following God with all their rules, with all the rules. So they thought, hmm. So they decided, they made a decision, we're not going to get these, the new believers who've come in on the Alpha Course, we're not going to get them to do all the rules, we'll just give them some advice about some of the rules. And they say it's a good idea maybe that you uh, avoid sexual immorality because we, we know that sexual immorality is a big thing uh, in, in, in the world at that time, in the Greek world, uh, and a couple of other things as well. And I just love 
the way that they describe how they came to their decision. And this little phrase occurs three times. It says, seemed good to us. It seemed good. It seemed like a good idea. It seemed good to us to, to, to just suggest that you do these couple of things, but you don't need to worry about all the other things. Okay? It seemed good to us. It's like they were using their creative imagination. They were thinking, yeah, what, what would Jesus do? I wonder, what would he say about this? And then they made a, a quite an interesting statement. They said in Acts chapter 15, verse 19, we shouldn't make it difficult for the new believers who are coming from other nations and who are turning to God. We shouldn't put barriers in the way of them turning to God. And I think it's so important for us today to think about the things that we could inadvertently be doing that put barriers in the way of people who are coming to God. And we can hold to beliefs that we've held to for many, many years that we're not aware of how it affects our attitudes and our behaviors to other people. But it will do, even if we don't, we're not aware of it. So um, the preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones, I love this little quote from him. Uh, he says, if you go wrong with your doctrine, you know, what you believe about the teachings of scripture, if you go wrong with your doctrine, you will go wrong in all aspects of your life. So in other words, what you think about what the scripture says and teaches, what you hold to, what you believe, will affect the way that you live, okay? And I love the way he makes the link. He draws that conclusion from a little verse in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul is writing about the gospel, and he says, right, I want you to get the most important thing about the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that Jesus came, he died on the cross for our sins, and then he rose from the dead, so we know that we, if we put our faith in him, we can rise from the dead and that there is life after death. And he says, because if we don't believe in the resurrection and if we think that nobody rises from the dead, then we might as well eat and drink and be merry because tomorrow we die. And then, to cap it all, he quotes a Greek poet who was around, uh, called Menander, who was around about 300 years before Jesus. Um, he was a poet. He was um, a bit of a, a dramatist, comedian, not very good. But he had a few famous sayings, and this was one of his famous sayings. And Paul quotes this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, um, I, better, I better quote it, otherwise I'll get it wrong because I haven't got it on the top of my head. But basically, um, 1 Corinthians uh, 15, uh, verse 33, uh, Paul says, <coughs> don't be deceived, quote, unquote, bad company ruins good morals, or bad company ruins good character in, in some other versions. And, uh, and uh, so what Martin Lloyd-Jones was saying is, if your doctrine is wrong, your life will be wrong. And Paul was using a quote from 
uh, a not very good poet, comedian, Greek guy who was born about three years, 300 years before Jesus. And he was using that quote that they would have, ne- they would have been kind of like familiar with. And he was saying, you know, there's some truth in this. Bad company corrupts good character. If you get your advice and your thinking and your beliefs wrong, it will work out in the way that you live. So it's, it's, we need to be cautious and we need to be open-minded. Um, the third thing and the final thing, which I, uh, the point that I wanted to make from this passage, is let's let the book show us the author. Okay? So they're reading the scriptures together, they're discussing it, and Paul is pointing to the author of the book. Jesus says, you know, you search the scriptures to find eternal life, but it's the scriptures that bear witness about me. In Hebrews 1, it says, in the past, God spoke through the law and the prophets. Today, he speaks to us through his son. And it's one of the reasons that I asked Val to read the passage that she read earlier about the transfiguration, because I think it's a wonderful picture of Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. So Moses represents the law, Elijah represents the prophets, and then there's Jesus. And, uh, wow. (laughs) But then there's a voice from heaven that says, this is my son, listen to him. And when they all look up, they just see Jesus, and Moses and Elijah have vanished. This is my son, listen to him. And Jesus says in Matthew, he says, don't think that I've come to abolish what Moses and Elijah said, what the law and the prophets said. I didn't come to abolish them. I came to fulfill them. I came to show you what it really looks like to live in God's kingdom. So I think we can take the scriptures, but we can use them to see Jesus and to see what he's telling us about how to read the scriptures. C.S. Lewis said, It's Christ himself, not the Bible, who is the true word of God. The Bible read in the right spirit and with the guidance of good teachers will bring us to him, to Jesus. We must not use the Bible as a sort of encyclopedia out of which we take texts out of context. He didn't say out of context, I've just added that in in which we take texts out of context to use as weapons. Uh, Muslims have a little phrase um, uh, in in Arabic. It's um, al-al-kitab. I'm not very good at Arabic. That's the only Arabic I know, al-al-kitab. And that Arabic phrase means people of the book. And Muslims use that phrase to describe Jews, Christians, and 
Muslims, those three faiths, they say are people of the book because their faith is based on ancient texts, which it is. But I would say, I think that rather than saying we are people of the book, I would say we are people of the author of the book. We don't build our lives on a book, we build our lives on God. We build our lives on a rock. Another question, I found this one in Isaiah 44. So here's a question that Isaiah wrote, um, hearing the voice of God, and the question is, is there a God besides me? Mm, that's an interesting question, because there are probably lots of gods beside God. Is there a God besides me? And then the verse says, there is no rock, I know not any. Or some versions say there is no other rock. There are lots of gods, but there is only one God who is a rock that we can build our lives upon. So I've got so much more that I'd want to say, but I kind of want to start to wrap it up now. So <coughs> when we come to the scriptures, let's come with question, with our questions. Let's ask questions in community together. Let's use our small groups to do that. Let's be open-minded when we read the Bible. Um, for the last 10 years, I've been reading the Bible again and changing my mind about some of the things that preachers have said to me over the years. And I'm not saying that I have got it right on any of these things. And that's why I call this message, don't believe everything the preacher says, because I will get it wrong. But I do think we, some, we need to have a fresh review of some of the things that we've, some of the interpretations that we've had from the Bible that maybe are not quite how Jesus would have demonstrated it being fulfilled. So for example, um, Jesus says in, in Matthew, in the Beatitudes, on a number of occasions, things like, you've heard it said, and then he quotes something from the Old Testament, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, which is a really, really good rule. It was great. It was given so that people, if somebody did something bad to you, you didn't then go and do something twice as bad to them. It was about justice. It was about things being fair. It was a helpful rule, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But Jesus, in fulfilling the scriptures in showing us a greater revelation of the scriptures says <clears throat> you've heard it said an eye for an eye but I say to you do not resist the one who is evil in other words let me suggest to you Jesus is saying do not do to them the evil that they are doing to you don't let the evil in them 
become evil in you. So it doesn't mean don't resist, as in don't back off or don't tell them off for being wrong. It's not that. What it's saying is don't resist them in the way that they are putting evil on you. So don't retaliate with the same evil that they are doing to you. And Jesus, it's like Jesus is saying, this isn't a rule, <laughs> you know. Don't resist the one who is evil. It's not a rule. What Jesus is saying is, use your imagination to think, how would Jesus respond to somebody who is doing evil to him? Use your imagination to think how you should respond. So Jesus goes on and says things like, uh, you've heard it said, and he quotes from Leviticus, uh, love your neighbor. Great, great rule. Great rule, love your neighbor. Great rule. But Jesus then says, but I say to you, love your enemies. Don't just love your neighbor. Love your enemies. Use your imagination. How good can you be to those who are being bad to you? That's not a rule. Love, love your enemies isn't a rule. Oh, I need to love my enemies. Otherwise, you know, I need to tick that. But no, Jesus is saying, just think how radical you can be, how loving you can be to your enemies. Just use your imagination. Think how you can love your enemies. Wow. It's like we're being open-minded now about how Jesus would live. We're not sticking to the rule book. Oh, I must love my neighbor. Oh, I must love my enemy. No, no, no. Think creatively. Think imaginatively how Jesus would love those who are being evil. Yeah? Jesus died. Jesus suffered at the hands of people who did evil to him because he loved them. And he did it for their good, for our good. I'm nearly there. <laughs> so when Paul is encouraging us how to live, he says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, he says, follow me, but he doesn't leave it there, because I would never say follow me, because there are things that I do which are silly sometimes. So he says, follow me, as I follow the scriptures? No. I mean, he could say that, and that would be fine, wouldn't it? It'd be okay, but it wouldn't be as good as saying, follow me as I follow Jesus. Yeah? I think it's a clue to how Paul interprets the scriptures. Follow me as I follow Jesus. And so I'll finish with this. When we allow the book to show us the author, things will happen. And I'll just read this last verse from the text, and then I'll pray. So Acts, 12, Acts 17, verse 12, this is what happened when... They asked questions together in community about the scriptures and they allowed the scriptures to show them the author of the book. It says, many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing. 
as well as men. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is precious. Thank you that it is a lamp for our feet. Thank you that it guides us. Thank you that it comforts us. But thank you most of all, it points us to the one who wrote it and the one who helps us to see what it really means. Thank you for Jesus that in a way he put the rule book to one side and said, have faith in me and you will become somebody who doesn't just keep the rule book but who keeps the rule book because they want to keep the rule book. You will change us. You will do a new thing in our heart that we won't just be law keepers, but that we will be people who love to bless others and to even love our enemies. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.